We're going to jump right in to Revelations chapter 2, looking at verses 18 through 29. But before we get into that, I want you to know that these seven letters were given to these seven churches and all from Jesus Christ himself. Now, we know this, if you've ever flipped through your Bible, uh, if, if you actually use one of these now, unless, unless you just use your phone, right? Or your iPad. But anytime you come across what? The red letters, what does that represent? Well, that represents the words of Christ. And we always end up, at least I have, I remember growing up and I saw red letters and it was like a new level of respect. You know what I mean? But here what we have in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3 is, is something of what could be even uh, just as great significance or even greater because these are letters and potentially the very last communicated words that we see within Scripture from Christ himself. So let's go ahead and take a look. Revelations chapter 2, 18 through 29. And it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I I, I always say this, but you got to love those transitional words, right? Because, you know, I'm building you up and now I'm just going to throw something right in your face. All right. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they what? Repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will pay, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to you, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That is a great promise given to us as a church. Understand that. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As I said, this is the longest letter that we see here that was written. And what I want you to know is what Jesus was doing throughout these seven letters was pointing out things within those seven churches of observations, obviously, that he is having and ways of changing um, and, and, and also bringing encouragement that was needed. Now, what we do know about this, this of Thyatira was it was not a city. In fact, it was a town. Um, all the other churches that we read here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are all considered to be cities. And this one, despite its size, this is a town that was small, but it had great influence within the Roman Empire. And this plays into the letters that Jesus is writing because their hearts have drifted 
and they have entertained certain things, certain things that you and I would, as a body of believers, as a part of the church, would say, that's something that I just don't want in my life. It's not healthy for me. So the challenge that is being left before us as the church of today is this, are we ready to face the challenges that the church of Thyatira did? So let's dive into that letter. What Jesus is ultimately doing with this letter is writing a letter of authority. Jesus is the ultimate authority within our lives. This is what makes us a Christian or a Christ, a Christ follower. We may say that we thought Jesus dying on the cross is what makes us a Christian. Let me help you out with that. No, it is not. Jesus dying on the cross was for all sin, for all mankind. Jesus raising from the tomb would have been impossible if it were not for the cross. And the cross would have no meaning if it weren't for the fact that Jesus rose from the tomb. So us being a follower of Christ is because of the cross, the tomb, and you making a declaration to accept Jesus Christ as lordship over your life and allowing him to be what? That ultimate authority. So what are we, as Christ followers, we are ultimately submitting to his authority. So let's take a look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Starts off, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write. Now, unlike the other churches, Thyatira was really more like a large town in its time. Um, but it was a designated military supply post for the Eastern Roman Empire. So try to keep that in your mind. It was a supply area. A lot of transition, a lot of transaction was happening through that. There was a lot of people going in and coming out. So it was a constant Rotation, kind of like a revolving door. It was also considered to be the frontline defense against any invaders on the eastern side of the Roman Empire. So it had very high significance. Now, it had became very famous. And here's what I want you to understand here. And because it was a church that was heavily influenced. But it became very famous within the first century for trade unions or local guilds. And it was due to... Um, the dyes that they had, they were very expensive, the fabrics um, that they had. And what is notable about this, it is really the beginning of what we would consider to be today unions. Do you understand what I'm talking about there? And these unions were influencing what was happening in this town. That's something to keep in mind. Now let's move on. The scripture reads, these are the words of the Son of God. So this is a statement here that's clearly defining to us that Jesus to this church and every time something is said that he is what? The son of God. He is writing something right here. There is reason behind any time that Jesus communicates, there's reason behind it. Yes. Like, for instance, I'm, sitting, I'm standing here talking to you. There's reason behind it. Why? Because we're going to explain this letter, what it was meaning to that church and what it means to this church today. Now, if what I'm saying has any importance to it, what are you doing? You're going to pay attention to it. Well, if Jesus himself is saying, speaking, or writing a letter, it is of the utmost importance for us to pay attention to it. Jesus is saying here, I am the Son of God. Now, this church was in a culture that was pressuring to name 
other gods. Remember, unions. This is where the, really the beginning of unions began to take place. And, and those unions were, you know, if you want our protection, if you want our support, this is what you have to do. Yeah. Are you following me? There's outside pressure. There's other things to bring motivation. But what we see here is that they were asking for them to name other gods. Now, this is the only time find, found in the book of Revelation where Jesus actually refers to himself as the son of God. And what he does is he's describing himself in order to gain their attention. All right. Now, he goes on to say this, whose eyes are what? Like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In each of these seven letters, he is referencing himself and the identity of who he is by his characteristics. All right. In other words, he's, he's letting people know his, what his attributes are. We read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, I am what? The Alpha and the Omega. We have a reference there to the Old Testament name for God. But he's saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. The one who is, the one who was, and the one what? Who is to come. The Almighty. Amen. What Jesus ultimately doing here is he's communicating his deity and that he is the son of God. And these characteristics are men mentioned are fully reserved to God Almighty himself. The reason that is important is because, again, within this church, they were trying to be persuaded to serve other gods. But Jesus is reminding them of who he is. His attributes, how powerful he is. We read in Revelation 1.8, just there at the, at the end of it, that says what? He is what? The Almighty. The challenge before us is, is Christ the authority within your life? Does he rule absolute with authority? Is he the Almighty? Is he reigning within all of these attributes? Let's take a look at Revelation 1. 11 through 19 it says this, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And he names those churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then we have a, 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 a change here. It says I, meaning John. All right. He's the one who's scripting all of this. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Now, if you recall, in the first week, we were looking there at Ephesus, and we understand the lampstands are referring to what the church is itself. But he also communicated that he is, what? He's in the midst of those lampstands. The encouragement that we can understand and gather from this writing is that we are the church, not this building, not these walls, but you and I as individuals, we represent what? The body of Christ, the church itself. And Jesus Christ is communicating clearly what? I am in your midst, which means wherever you may be, you know, where is he? He's with you. Amen. Goes on to say he's dressed in a robe, reaching down to the feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing, fire, like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, remember the importance of the right hand. What does the right hand represent? Power, protection, 
and strength. All right. But it says um, in his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right. What? What was that? His right hand on me. What is that? His power, his strength, his protection. He says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen. What is the things that he has seen? That represents Revelation chapter 1. What is now? That re that's representing the study that we're in right now. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then he says, what will take place later? And that represents Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Ver Chapter 4 through chapter 22. That's a lot of information, isn't it? I'm just throwing a whole lot of stuff at you. I told you there was a lot going on in this message this morning, all right? You have the notes, churchbythebeach.org. Check them out. Follow along there. But what I want us to do is look at uh, the phrases, his eyes were like blazing fire. What this really speaks about is God's act. He's active within our lives in holiness and purity. Discerning the hearts and the minds of all people. He knows all about your life. He knows all about my life. Do you ever find yourself asking this? And look, I'm a pastor and I do this often, especially at the end of my day and everything's quieted down. Everything's cooled down. I go, God, are we good? <laughs> Have you ever done that? Or am I the only one? Like, God, are, are, are we good? You know, God, I need you to speak to me. I, you know, I know we had our, our time together this morning, but, but I, I need some refreshing right now. So, so, Father, talk to me. You know, I've been there. We need those moments. and We, we, we need to find ourselves within quiet times and, and talking to the Father. In fact, the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 11.31, I don't have that scripture for you. I'm just throwing that one out there. But it says, if we judge ourselves in the end, we will not be judged. There's some things in my life that I'm going, God, we need to forget. He goes on in his next reference. He talks about his feet, referring from the knees down, not just the feet themselves. But he says this, we're like bronze glowing in the furnace. What is that speaking about? That's speaking about God's act of judgment and his righteousness. Jesus is speaking to his churches right here. He's doing it in holiness. He's doing it in purity, all the while actively judging. What he's doing is bringing a warning to the church of Thyatira against its allowance of sinful conduct within the fellowship of the saints. What does that mean? They were allowing things to creep in within the church itself. We know that because Revelation chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says these words as, he's, as this letter is being written. He goes, I know your deeds. I know your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He's actually kind of complimenting them right there. But when he talks about deeds, he says what? He's looking at the works and the doings. He knows about them within your life. When he talks about the love, he's looking at the pure affection. He's looking at your devotion. He's looking at your pure love that you have. When he's talking about faith, he's looking at the pledge. He's looking at, is there proof of your faith? Is there a continuation? Is there that perseverance, which we'll get into in a second? When he looks at the service of, of it, he's talking about the ministry, the mission, the caregiving. 
When he talks about the perseverance, he's looking at, you know, the patience, the endurance, the steadfastness. Listen to these words. He says that you are what now doing more than you did at first. He's impressed by what's going on. So we know that this letter is written uh, in, in a, as a sense of authority, but here at number two, it's written out of definition. Revelation chapter two, verse 20 says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Do you remember that feeling deep down inside when you were a child and you knew you were about to get in trouble? How about this? How about when you're driving and you're going entirely too fast and next thing you know, you see them lights go behind you. Yesterday, we were going down the county toward Cherry Stone and uh, I was flying, man. I ain't gonna lie. I was moving. And I was moving with a pack of like New Yorkers in New Jersey. If any of you are from New York and New Jersey, I'm so sorry. I was taking advantage of you. And we're moving, man. And next thing I know, boom, lights go flash. And I'm like, Andrea, I could possibly be pulled over right now. And she's going, I told you. You know what I'm saying? And, and sure enough, the guy behind me, he gets pulled over. And I'm like, keep on going. You know, that, yeah, touchdown Jesus, you know. But he's talking about against and, and what he's saying, what he's doing here, he's he's listing. Uh, he's got an itemized record of all of this. And Jesus is saying to the church, this is what I've recorded about your life. And this is what I have that is just simply not pleasing. This is not what I will. This is not what I purposed for you. But understanding this, that every time that Jesus points out our wrong and our error, hope always follows behind. Do you know that God never speaks to his children in rebuking them without offering some sense of hope? Without hope, that would be considered as condemnation. And we know that God is not about condemnation, but there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is taking us to the cross. Condemnation is pushing us away from it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Proverbs 3 and 12, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Notice, he always does this with what? Love. And he corrects or disciplines through it. He says these words as we continue in our text. He says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet by her teaching. Now understand this, King Ahab was a tragic disappointment. He married for political reasons. He married a, a Sidonian woman whose father was the king of the Sidonians. It was a pagan nation. King Ahab was marrying this woman and it was condemned for him to do. In other words, it was not allowed. And we understand this. They obviously were unequally yoked. They were unequally tied together. Jezebel's name actually comes from the goddess of the Sidonians that they worshiped. His name was Baal. And so that's how you get Jezebel. Now we don't understand, what you need to understand is that that probably was not her real name. Okay, this is a title that has been given to her. But there's a word within the scripture that I always, I, I find and I go, hmm. He says tolerate. What does tolerate mean? He's allowing or agree without an interference. Remember this letter is addressed to the angel or in the original language, it was Anglos, which means what? The messenger for this church. How would that be defined today? The pastor. And what he's really communicating here is, is look, pastor, you're allowing this teaching to happen. This false doctrine 
that's bringing corruption into not only Israel, but also within your church. So what is being allowed is false doctrine to be taught within the church. And what they were doing is they were playing with fire, thinking that they may potentially not get burnt. Now, Jezebel means this. Whoever or whatever she was, she was a woman in the church of, at Thyatira that assumed a position of spiritual authority contrary to God's word. The name Jezebel represents the imported or the corruption from the outside world brought in to the church. The pastor allowed, permitted, looked the other way. She could introduce her compromising worship, slipping in, add to it within the systems of prayer, within the systems of music, within the systems of study, within the systems of the activities that were God approved, now not being God approved. And this had infiltrated the church in Thyatira and she is not of the servant of God and she is not part of the family of God. And this really, this message that she was bringing is carnal. It's, it had messed up the church and we still see the same patterns that are happening today. The scripture says she misleads my servants into what sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. They were stepping into, I use this word often, Compromise. We cannot allow the word of God to be compromised. It is active. It is living. It is pure. It is unadulterated. And it is the absolute truth. And we cannot allow that. Who is speaking into your life? If it is not the word of God, if it's not the voice of God, then we need to do something as Paul says. Flee, run from it. Do not allow yourself to get caught in it. Look, Jesus is not blaming the temptress. He's actually accusing the pastor who knew it and allowed it. And many of you could be sitting there going, hmm, pastor, you're, you're hit. You are hit. Let me help you out. Some of you are the pastors of your homes. You're the pastors of your children. Some of you got to set up as pastors within your work environments, pastors within your circles of influence. I'm not saying that to get it off of me, but I'm also saying it to give you some responsibility as well. Are you following me here? <laughs> That's funny. Not really, but, it, but the truth's the truth, right? Let's, get, let's go on in verse 21. It says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality. Mm. Think about that statement. I have given her time to repent. We understand the word repent means what? To completely turn away from. How much time has God given us? The culture, the society, the day what we're living in right now. How much time has he given us? But she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. What is that really speaking of? Her sick bed, a bed of pestilence and disease and sickness. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless what? They repent, turn away from her ways. Again, we're having another opportunity here to turn. It says, I will strike her children dead. This implies the second death. We looked at that uh, a few weeks ago, understanding the first death is our natural death. It's the only death that the Christ followers will ever go through. The second death is in a death of eternity cast into the abyss or the lake of fire. It says, then all the churches 
will know that I am him who searches hearts and minds, and I will pray each of you according to your deeds. I've got to speed this thing up here a little bit. But what Jesus is ultimately doing is not only writing a letter of authority or a letter of definition, but he's also writing a letter of mercy. Verse 24 in Revelation 2 says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not oppose any other burden on you. We must always cry out for God's mercy. God has reserved mercy for those who what? Will simply ask him. Ask him. What is that referring back to? Repentance. Father, forgive me of my sins. So he's writing a letter of authority. He's writing a letter of definition. He's writing a letter of mercy. And then finally, he's writing a letter of commitment. Verse 25 through 29 says, Except to hold on to what you have until I come. Now, mark these words with, you know, this is the first time in the book of Revelation. Jesus announces his coming for the church. I'm going to say it, the rapture, right? You can also look in John 14, verses 1 through 3. He talks about it there as well. But he says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, meaning whenever you die or whenever he comes back, I will give authority over the nations. What is that speaking of? I told you while we were reading their text to remember that spot. He's talking about the millennial reign there. All right, the millennial age. You will be rewarded with authority in that thousand year reign of Christ. That one will rule with them an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I've received authority from my father. I will also give that one, the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit or what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. The morning star, what is being spoken there? Well, if we look in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, it defines it for us. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches that I am the root of the offspring of David and what? The bright morning star. I want you to stand with me this morning. I'm gonna close with this statement followed by a scripture and it reads this way. Who gets the morning star? Who gets Jesus? The one who holds on. Those of us who what? come before him in repentance and are accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. First John 5 and 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Maybe you're here in this room or maybe you're watching us online today and you've not made a commitment to Jesus Christ. I wanna let you know today is a day reserved for you to turn your life completely around, to turn your eternity completely around. And all it takes is one simple prayer. You know, I'll never forget when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I walked down that aisle that, that evening of Friday night, February the 6th, 1997. And as I approached the front, it wasn't no elaborate prayer. It wasn't something that you know, like the angels and the, the clouds parted and all of this. I came down to the front and there was a person there and they greeted me, they met me with open arms. And the only words I could get out in that moment was Jesus, Jesus. Today, that Jesus 
wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants you to make that commitment. He loves you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is, if that is you today and you wanna give your life over to Jesus or you're watching online, I want us as a church, in fact, all of us, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, today I come before you and I accept you as my Lord, my master, and my savior. Forgive me of my sins. And I repent of my old ways. And lead me, Lord, into your perfect will, plan, and purpose for my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church says, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there? Amen. Trust me, it's the greatest prayer you will have ever prayed. But for us, we need to understand as the body of Christ that this letter was written in authority. It was given definition. It was given us mercy. And it's given us a call to a commitment. And there's things about us that we need to be watchful over. What are we allowing? Who are we allowing to speak into our lives? What is influencing our lives? If it does not line up with the word of God, it is a Jezebel spirit. It really is. And I say, run, flee from it. Allow yourself to come into the word of God to be strengthened. Allow him to allow the word of God to be that protection, to be the sword that we read about in Ephesians. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, I thank you for each and every one that have been here and experienced this service together or watched us online today or listened to us in our parking lot. Father, I just ask that as the body of Christ, we will understand that you are the ultimate authority. God, that you give definition. Lord, that you're offering mercy. And God, that you're drawing us to a commitment that is deeper within you, Father. May we know whom that we belong to, and that is you. Lord, that we are not citizens of this world, but Father, we are citizens of your kingdom, your eternal kingdom. Continue, Father, to equip us. Continue, God, to strengthen us and give us the boldness and the encouragement, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Allow wisdom and knowledge to come to our minds continually every day. Give us opportunity, Father, to be a part of fulfilling that great commission, bringing others to Christ. Understanding, God, that yes, we may not lead a church, but Lord, we are all part of the church and we are all pastors within our homes and our relationships and Father, Lord, within our circle of friendships, God, in our work environments and school environments and so on and so forth. May we, Father God, always, always represent you to the fullest. Father, we love you. And God, as your psalmist said, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen, amen. Hey, we love you guys, and we will see you next week. Have a great Sunday.